This is episode number 72, creating positive life changes and plant-based athlete tips from my keynote speech at the Toronto VegFest and the Okanagan Health Forum. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. So I decided I'm gonna go for it, and I had the confidence in myself to say, I'm gonna figure it out as I go. And it was great, but a lot of times we're afraid to make changes, whether it's in our diet, it's in our lives. What's gonna happen? What if I can't go back? What if it's the wrong choice? But we're gonna regret it more if we don't try. And to live an inspired life, you have to make those changes in your life. I'm really excited about this week's show because I love public speaking and I love connecting with audiences. And I wore a little microphone during my speech I did at the Toronto VegFest a couple weeks ago. And also I did the same speech at the Okanagan Health Forum. It wasn't verbatim the same, but I have my slides and I have things that I love talking about. The premise of this talk is about how to make positive changes in your life. So I tell my story from the beginning, from being a kid to making pivots in my career to eventually changing my diet and also about some plant-based performance tips. I share some of my favorite recipes that I eat on a daily basis and some foods that I always add in and why they're good for you. This is a special edition of the show, and if you guys enjoy it, make sure to take a screenshot and share it with your friends. Also, if you want more information about plant-based nutrition, you can join the free Facebook group. It's just Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney if you go into Facebook. It's free. It's available to anybody. It's just for anyone who's interested in developing healthier eating habits in their lives. And it's a cool group because a lot of different people are commenting and providing information in there. In fact, I've learned a lot from the group members. So thank you so much to those of you who are a part of the group and who participate regularly in posting. I've also started an Instagram account, Plant Power Tribe on Instagram, and that is more my daily food and vlogs on the Instagram stories, and also some really interesting memes with nutrition. Like I have one I'm posting about the difference between almond butter and peanut butter and nutritional value. There's been ones about all these different types of greens and what greens are good for what. So check out Plant Power Tribe on Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening to this show, you guys. As I mentioned before, I can't believe we're already into the 70s with episodes. And it's just been so enriching to get to meet all of these great people, to actually sit down and have hour-long conversations with some of them are strangers. And it's just been really cool. And I hope that you've been getting a lot of value and learning a lot from the guests as much as I have. So let's get into my talk. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me directly. You can go to my website, you can go on Facebook, you can go on Instagram. I'm really easy to get a hold of and I love hearing from you. So without further ado, here is my keynote. Ourselves a round of applause for making it this morning. Happy Saturday. So I'm Sonia Looney. I am, as uh, Diane said, I'm a world champion pro mountain biker. And I want to tell you about my journey, about my path, about how I got to where I am today. And I know every single person in this room has done some amazing things to get to where you are, to be sitting here at a veg fest in Toronto. 
and it's my first time in Toronto. I've never been here before, and it's so cool. Like this morning, I went to a coffee shop, and it was really easy to make alterations to my vegan breakfast. Normally, you just get the steel cut oats and you're on your way, but they were able to make this beautiful salad with lentils and, and sweet potatoes, and it was fantastic. So what is mountain biking? Not everybody is familiar with that. That's a, a question that I get a lot. They think that I'm the person that rides off huge cliffs like in Red Bull Rampage, which is like the stuff you see on TV. But I don't ride off cliffs on purpose. It does happen sometimes, but I try to avoid that. So the type of mountain biking that I do is called ultra endurance mountain biking. So what that means is I ride my bike for 50 to 100 miles. And for the Canadians out there, that's 160 kilometers. I'm still getting used to kilometers because I'm kind of new to Canada. Not too new though. So they go for 160K. So that's like an eight hour day on a mountain bike on trails. And I ride the uphill and the downhill. And some of my races are seven days long in different countries across terrain that goes point to point, kind of like the Tour de France, except it's on a mountain bike on trails. And you get to see lots of cool things. They said that I was the 24 hour world champion. So what is 24 hour racing? Well, number one, you start looking like that after a while because you haven't slept. But what 24 hour racing is, is riding your bike around on a track, kind of like NASCAR for 24 hours straight. And you have a pit so you can stop in your pit and you can do whatever you need to do, whether it's get some food, get new batteries for your lights, find a sharp object and stab it into yourself because you don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> But the pit is awesome because you have your crew there. And my husband, who's in the audience, was in my pit. So he that's him back there who also looks bleary-eyed. But you ride around for 24 hours, and whoever rides the most amount of laps in a 24-hour period wins the race. And for me, this was a big deal because I like sleeping, and I'm, I'm really grumpy if I don't get my 8 to 9 hours of sleep. So I was able to win this race. This was in 2015. And it was great because I proved to myself that I could do something that I didn't even know was possible. So how did I start, even start mountain biking? How did I get to where I am today? I started mountain biking in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I grew up, but I didn't grow up riding bikes. I grew up, I was a, a band nerd, I was in school, I was really focused on that. And I didn't even quite identify as an athlete. I played sports, but I didn't really consider myself this high-end athlete. So I started running my senior year of high school because I had all these teenage angst issues. I had body image problems, confidence problems. I didn't know who I was and running really taught me who I was and who I wanted to be, but I didn't know how to run. So I started going to spin class at the gym, which led to someone inviting me to go mountain biking outside, which led me to wanting to be a pro mountain biker. Interesting. But I was in school for engineering. You know, I'm a nerd, so I was going to become an electrical engineer at UNM. And I found mountain biking two years before I graduated. And when I graduated, I said, well, I don't want to go work engineering job. I want to go do something. I want to be a pro. I want to be an athlete. So where do I go? So I decided that I would go to school in Boulder, Colorado. And fortunately, I got a fellowship to their PhD program. So when you don't know what you want to do in life, I recommend going into a PhD engineering program. Not. <laughs> so I moved to Boulder and it was really interesting to move there because I was exposed to a culture and people that I didn't even know existed. People in Boulder, they don't follow the cookie cutter mold. They put their lifestyle and their health first. 
And that's not something that I knew that was allowed. I, I thought that you had to follow a mold that all my family are engineers. Now I'm destined to be an engineer too, even though I'm not very passionate about this. And everyone told me that, well, you can't be a pro mountain biker. You can't make money. You can't do that. It's just a hobby and you're not going to be able to do it for very long. So it was really hard to always have that negative voice coming from family members or from or friends that just didn't associate with what I was doing. So when I moved to Boulder, I actually learned that, hey, I actually can go for this crazy dream that everybody thinks isn't possible. And it was amazing because while I was in school, I started meeting great people and I was able to surround myself with people that agreed and had the same values that I had. And that's a really great thing about being here at the Toronto Veg Fest is that we're surrounding ourselves with people with similar values to us. So when we really want to talk about being vegan and all of our food, because we love talking about our food, myself included, then everybody understands and it's great. So I was really excited to be around inspirational people. And in Boulder, there's a lot of really high caliber athletes there. There's world champions, Olympians. The Wednesday night race is like a World Cup. So that was amazing to be there. And you might think that I changed my diet while I lived in Boulder, but I did not. It was kind of the opposite. There were a lot of vegans in Boulder, but the first encounter I had with the vegan was a really negative one. They were very judgmental. It was very black and white, and it just turned me off completely. So anytime I heard the word vegan, I thought, those people are crazy. I don't want to be anything like that. So I just kept doing what I was doing, and I didn't think about my diet in that way again for a while. And then I finished, so I decided that I'm not doing my PhD in engineering, this isn't for me, so I stopped at my master's degree. And I went to work for a solar engineering startup company in Boulder because I was really passionate about the environment. And it was really interesting to work for a startup because there's a lot of hats you have to wear. You might come there to work as an engineer, but really everyone is involved in business and marketing and decision making on some level. So I learned that, wow, I really like business and I really like marketing and I really don't like engineering. So what am I gonna do with that? And I was pondering and I was stuck. And sometimes there's a wisdom in being stuck because you learn that it's okay to be there. And also it creates change because if you feel like you're stuck, you feel like you have to make a change somehow. And I was riding a blog, I was racing my bike, I was doing cross country racing at the time, which are really short course races. They're like an hour to an hour and a half long and maybe they're like 18 to 20 miles. So they're pretty short. And I wasn't doing very well. I was, I was at best an average cross country racer. So I thought, well, okay, I'm just gonna start writing a blog about this. And this was in 2007, about riding around Colorado, sharing pictures and stories from my rides because that's one of my favorite things to do is share stories. And little did I know that people actually read my blog. Huh, people were actually reading lots of blogs back then. And I was on this pro team and they had given me a backpack and I wrote a review about this backpack and it ended up sending a lot of traffic to this company's website and I had no idea. So they contacted me and said, hey, we'd really like for you to come race on our team, which was a big step up from where I was. And also they said, we would really like for you to start doing some marketing projects for us. So I was racing full time, I was working as an engineer and I was doing marketing and it was completely overwhelming. So eventually they offered me a job in the bike industry. I was offered the job of the national sales and marketing manager of another startup. So I thought, okay, well, this is a big change. I'm an engineer. I've never taken a business class. I've never done a marketing class. And they're asking me to do this. So what do I do? 
Do I sit back and say, no, I'm not qualified. I'm just not going to take those steps in my life and see what happens. Or like, what am I going to do? So I decided I'm going to go for it. And I had the confidence in myself to say, I'm going to figure it out as I go. And it was great. But a lot of times we're afraid to make changes, whether it's in our diet, it's in our lives. What's going to happen? What if I can't go back? What if it's the wrong choice? But we're going to regret it more if we don't try. And to live uh, an inspired life, you have to make those changes in your life to try and see what's going to happen. And something really interesting happened with that because once I started making changes in my life that fulfilled my purpose, I started feeling pulled in that direction. And it was like I couldn't stop. It was a snowball effect. And I, I'm sure you guys have heard stories of it. I'm sure that you've experienced this in your own life when you get excited about something and you start moving in that direction. It's like you can't stop. And Paulo Colo is a great author. I highly recommend reading some of his books. But it's been a really cool experience to race mountain bikes, to learn about health, and then to get here today. So I stopped doing cross-country racing and I started doing ultra-endurance racing, the longer stuff, the stuff where you have to figure out who you are and how you're going to deal with things that happen to you. Because when you're on your bike for eight hours or 24 hours, it's not going to be all roses the whole time. There's going to be times where you want to quit. There's going to be times when you're in so much pain, you don't know how you're going to keep going. And those are the most important moments because they show you that if you keep pushing forward and you keep moving forward, and you realize that nothing is permanent, including the pain, and also including success, you realize that you're capable of so much more than you thought. So this was a race I did in Spain earlier this year. Sunny Spain, the Mediterranean. Everyone said, go to Spain because it's in February and you live in Canada and it's gonna be really nice. Well, as you can see, it wasn't very sunny. I was getting my dose of vitamin B12, which is found in dirt. So whenever people say, do you take a B12 supplement? I say yes, but I also get it from the dirt that I eat regularly on my mountain bike rides. But this was interesting because a lot of people were really upset about the weather. But I wasn't. I was excited because it was an adventure and I knew that it didn't matter what the weather was. It mattered matter what my attitude was. So if you decide that this is going to be fun, it's going to be fun. Then I decided that I needed to go to Nepal and do the highest mountain bike race in the world. And I actually did a TED talk about this. Now, why the heck would I want to go to Nepal and race my bike at nearly 18,000 feet? I have no idea. But it was because no woman had ever done this race before. And I thought, well, I'm really nervous about this. I've never even left North America. I've only been around a little bit. So what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to deal with the unknown? How am I going to deal with it whenever I get up to 15,000 feet? And if you get sick or have a mechanical on your bike, the only way is to walk back the way you came because there aren't roads. This is a very backcountry event. So all these crazy things happened and I'll let you guys watch the TED talk so I don't spoil it, but some bad things happened and there was some drama, but I went back the next year and I did finish the first year and I did it again. And it was really interesting because once you've done something once, it gets a lot easier for the next time. So like with our diets, it's like the first time you're making your, your vegan meal, you're, you're making your rice and you're cooking the beans and you're at the store and there's all these weird smells and spices. It's, it's a little bit intimidating. But then whenever you do it for the second time, it's not as big of a deal. And it's the same whenever you're racing your bike at 18,000 feet in Nepal. Then I thought, well, what else can I do? I can go to Nepal. I can do the highest mountain bike race in the world well, maybe I'll go to the most dangerous place in the Western Hemisphere and race my bike. I was invited to a race in Haiti, and it's the first and only mountain bike race in Haiti, and it was only 30 people. And half of the racers were Haitians, and the whole point of this race was to bring tourism to Haiti. So that was a really amazing experience, 
And also another example of just making a change in your life, going for something where you don't know what's going to happen and seeing what's going to happen. And what happens is you get a much bigger frame of what you can do. Then that wasn't enough, so I had to go to the Sahara Desert. Maybe it needs to be over 100 degrees or in the 40s and Celsius for the Canadians. And that was also a really amazing experience. And everything builds upon one another. So all the challenges that we do in our lives, all the things that we try, these are the things that make our life worth living. When we stop and we ponder, what is the most important thing I've done in my life? What are the most meaningful things to me? They're always the things that were the hardest that you had to struggle for. And there were the things that you really wanted to do. So then I was at this race in Canada and this was a really big deal for me because it was a life-changing event. It wasn't a life-changing event because I had to trail run for most of it because I wasn't able to ride the downhills because BC has some pretty technical mountain biking. It was a change because of someone I met. I met this Canadian guy and the race was an, another six day race and I saw him eating this food and he was eating like these piles of lentils and vegetables and bread and I thought how the heck is he doing a six day race eating that that's not real food you need to eat fish you need protein you're not going to be able to sustain yourself well I ended up marrying that guy so that was pretty interesting but he told me hey I eat a plant-based diet I've been doing this for over a year and you should try it. It's made me a lot healthier and it, it really helps prevent diseases. And I watched this documentary called Forks Over Knives and you should check it out. This was the next time I had been exposed to, quote, a vegan diet. And the, I told you the first time I was really turned off and I thought, oh my gosh, I like this guy, but he's a vegan. Like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I remember that last person. I, I don't know if I want to go there. But I did, and I watched a documentary, and it was the first time that I had ever linked disease to our diet. And I just thought, you eat healthy, you get skinnier, you, you look better, whatever, but I never thought that if you ate food, you could prevent heart disease, cancer, all these degenerative diseases that happen as we age and that they don't have to happen. So I came to a fork in the road. I met this Canadian guy. I started thinking about changing my diet, which I was afraid to do because now I'm a top-end endurance athlete. What if I change my diet? What if I get weak? What if I don't recover from my workouts? What if things don't go well for me? What am I going to do? So I had to make another choice, make another change. And because of the changes I had made previously in my life, I wasn't afraid to make the change. I was excited about a new opportunity, a new way to live, a new way to do things. So in one year, I moved to Canada. I married that Canadian guy, he's in the audience, Matt, you can meet him later. And I quit my job, I was doing that marketing job and there's no more room for growth anymore. So I stopped doing that job. I quit the team I was on. Oh, and I started my own business. So that was all in one year, which is hard to remember everything because there's so many things that happen. But that choice has been the best choice I've ever made because I had to learn so many things, but it's also led me down a path that I never thought I would be. We all have plans in our lives. We hear about goal setting, set your five-year plan. Well, my five-year plan was maybe I'll get a PhD in engineering. And then I ended up a world champion pro mountain biker who was speaking at a vegan festival. So, you know, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, especially whenever you're open to opportunity and you're open to change. And it's just amazing what that can do. And also the example that it can set for other people. So then I had to figure out, what is this vegan thing? Like, what is this 
diet that all these people are eating that I keep hearing about. So as I mentioned, I watched Forks Over Knives and I was afraid. I was afraid of all these things happening that it wouldn't go well and I changed my diet mid-season, which I don't know why I decided that that was a good idea, but I really wanted to try it because I thought if this is true, if I can reverse any type of heart disease in my body, which I learned yesterday starts at the age of five in some cases, if I can reverse that, if I can, if I can live a life where I don't have to worry about cancer, which was my number one fear, if I can take back control, if I don't have to get breast cancer just because my grandma had it, wow, like this is awesome. So a lot of people say, well, I just changed my diet and then they were done, but that didn't happen that way for me. I was afraid to go all in. So I said, okay, well, first I'm gonna change two meals a day. I'm gonna do two meals a day that are plant-based and the third, I can eat an animal-based meal if I want to. That way I had the flexibility and I gave myself permission if I wanted to do that. And some people are all or none. Some people need to go 100% one day or they can't do the sliding in one direction. But for me, that didn't work. I needed to do it gradually because as an athlete, I wanted to make sure that it's actually working. And I also wanted to just not be so judgmental and critical of myself, because if I had messed up, well, what would that mean about myself? So there's a lot of great resources out there. I'm sure you guys have seen What the Health documentary. There's amazing Instagram accounts and cookbooks and YouTube channels. And that's a really great place to start. So if you like Italian food, go get an Italian cookbook that, that's been veganized. If you like Mexican food, do the same. And there's so many restaurants and so many places you can go now that you can just make them veganize your meal. And a lot of times you'll be at a restaurant, well, not a lot of times anymore, but five years ago, a lot of times. And this just happened to me in Vancouver the other day. I was with my parents and my dad picked the restaurant. And the menu said vegan options, but they really didn't have a vegan option. The vegan option was just like a salad, which I really wanted food. I didn't want to just eat a salad. So I said to them, well, can you just make me something? Can the chef just make something for me? And this beautiful meal came out and my dad was looking at it like, wow, I wish I got that. And the reason why people look at our food and say they want to eat that is because it has so much life and so much color in it. When something comes out that's this like charred looking thing or like that's beige or brown, that doesn't look appetizing. That's why processed food companies inject color into our foods. That's why they dye meat uh, to that reddish color to make it look appetizing because we are pre-programmed to want colorful things. And that's awesome. But another thing that comes up pretty frequently is as an athlete, we look at people and we say, wow, like that person looks really fit or that person's skinny or whatever. And we assign that they are this model of health. And that isn't always the case. Just because you look really healthy, just because you look like you have big muscles or like no body fat, that doesn't mean that you're healthy. That just means that on the outside, you've done a really good job of being lean. Now, there's this company called Inside Tracker and they do blood work. They're a company that focuses on athletes. And they will come to your house. If you're in Canada, they come to your house. If you're in the US, you go to a, a testing facility and they take your blood. And they recommend diet to fix some of these markers that they look at, these biomarkers. So I thought, well, this is gonna be a really good test case. I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna do four blood tests in one year and see what comes back because who knows? I've been, I've been eating this way at that point and it had been over four years. I wanna see how I stack up to other athletes who don't eat a plant-based diet. And something really interesting happened. I got my test back. I was a little bit nervous. I'm opening it up like, I hope I'm right. I hope this is all right. And they said to me, hey, 
We've tested thousands of athletes across multiple disciplines of sport, and your blood work is the best we have ever seen. So there's an example of eating clean, eating a whole foods, plant-based diet. So I try to avoid processed foods as much as possible. But if I'm being completely honest, I eat processed food sometimes because I'm in a pinch or whatever. I don't think it's good for you, but I'm not going to say that I eat this like perfect diet. But I try to avoid processed foods as much as possible. I avoid all animal products. And it's, it's actually really easy once you get make it a habit. And another thing that's interesting is a lot of athletes have come to me and said, well, how are you recovering? How are you doing this? Like you're doing these seven-day races. Sometimes your races are 35 hours in one week. Sometimes the races with multiple days are five hours one day, eight hours the next day. So how are you recovering? Like you're, are you even getting enough protein? And I say, yeah, actually I am. And the great thing about a plant-based diet is it's super anti-inflammatory. So we talk about diseases and preventing diseases, but from an athletic performance, whenever you eat plant-based foods, you're not eating foods that cause inflammation. If you're eating meat, if you're eating dairy, these things cause inflammation and your body has to fight against the foods that you're eating. So guess what happens? When you're eating foods and you're trying to recover from a workout and your body's trying to recover from the food that you're eating, you're not going to recover as well from your workout. So something really interesting happened when I changed my diet was that my recovery improved dramatically. My results improved dramatically. I went from being third or fourth at the race and just saying, man, I just wish I could win a big race to winning almost every race that I went to. And that was a huge surprise and something that I didn't expect. I changed my diet for health reasons because I wanted to prevent disease. And as a lovely side effect, I became a much better and stronger athlete. And people that think that you can't do this, you can't, well, you're just an anomaly, Sonia. You're just, you're just a freak. Well, that's not the case because there's a lot of other people out there, athletes across all disciplines, athletes with giant muscles who are weightlifters. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can gain performance as an athlete. And the people that tell you you can't are just wrong. <laughs> So I want to talk about creating positive change and being inclusive because it's really easy for me to stand up here and tell you I eat this way and I'm fast on my bike, but how are we going to make positive changes for those around us? Because not everybody can identify with being a pro mountain biker or, an, or even an athlete. So things that I do that help with inclusion of other people is, number one, I tell them about my diet. No, not like that. But... <laughs> I just lead by example. I'm very inviting and I just say, this is what I do and I, I don't even offer it up half the time. In fact, you'll find this really interesting. I only started telling people about my diet of January of last year. There's three years I ate plant-based diet that I didn't tell anybody because I was really afraid. I, I was afraid that they would judge me and that they would think that I was judging them. And what does this mean? What does this label mean? And a lot of times people ask you, what do you do or who are you? And we'll give them an answer. I'm a vegan, I'm a mountain biker, I'm an engineer. And those aren't necessarily the only things that define us. So if I walked up to someone and said, hi, I'm Sonia, I'm a vegan, they might've had a bad experience in the past and they might've been completely turned off. So just going up to somebody and just being really like friendly and just being yourself without having to put labels on everything can be really helpful. So whenever I invite people over to my house for dinner, they're like, okay, I've never had a vegan meal before. I'm going over to Sonia's house. What are we going to eat? So I'll try and figure out what kind of food they like, and then I'll cook them a vegan meal. And it turns out most of the time that they love it. They love the food so much that they want the cookbook, and they'll do it too. 
Or if someone invites us over to their house, and this could be a tricky situation because they might not even know what vegan is. So I'll go to their house and I'll say, hey, like I'm gonna make food for you. So it, it requires a little bit more effort because you have to be the one work, doing the work. But whenever you cook for somebody, number one, they're like really excited because cooking is a lot of work and they feel just really like thankful that you're cooking for them. And usually they like the food. There's some family members I have that don't like the food and I've tried and tried, so I've just kind of let that go. But whenever you cook for people, they really like that as well. You can also bring your own food whenever you go to a party or something. And guess what happens? You'll make this beautiful food and then everybody eats all your food. <laughs> and they're like, wait a second, this is the only thing I can eat here. So it's a great example of how our food is delicious. And one of the biggest hangups people have is they think the food's gonna be disgusting or they think that all we do is eat salad. So educating people and just showing them like, hey, you can have pasta, you can have pizza, you can have these beautiful bowls with sauces that are bright colored and delicious. I think that that's really important to show them that. And this is something I love. This is a Japanese philosophy called Kaizen. And what it means is if you make small changes, even a 1% change, you can start steering the ship in a different way. So imagine if you're on the ocean and you're sailing and you make a 1% course correction and then you start going in this direction. Well, initially, that's not a very big change, 1%. But over time, once you start going off in this direction and you might've been going in this direction, that's gonna be a huge change over time. So something that I tell people all the time is, hey, like if you don't wanna be called a vegan, you don't wanna eat plant-based, just eat more plants, eat more of these things, add them into your diet. And that helps with this, this topic of Kaizen because if they start eating more plants, they're gonna be better off than they were before. And better than before, I think, is a much better thing to strive for than perfection. And another thing people worry about is, well, what if I start eating plants, I call myself a vegan, and then I mess up and I'm eating pizza in my closet, trying to hide from everybody. Well, we have to be like kind and, and realize that we were like that too. We ate animal products before, and humans make mistakes, and humans go back. So focus on progress over perfection. And I think that that is the best way to do it. Something that I love is Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen app from nutritionfacts.org. So if you haven't downloaded that app, make sure that you do. And it has 12 foods that you should add into your diet every day for optimum health. He doesn't say, don't eat this, don't do this. He says, add this in. So if we can come from a mindset of just adding in things that are better for us, then it crowds out all the things that are bad for us. And over time, your palate changes and you just don't wanna eat that other stuff. So the ripple effect is really, really powerful. So my diet changed because I met Matt and then I started telling other people about my diet. I started posting on my Instagram account. People started looking at those pictures and said, hey, she's an athlete, I can do that too. They started changing their diet a little bit. Then their friends started changing their diet a little bit. And before you know it, tons of people are eating less meat, less animals are, are being murdered and killed. And, like, it's amazing that the ripple effect can just have such a positive impact on the world. Also, it can have a negative effect. So every time I open my Twitter, I have to cringe because there's all this political stuff that is just spreading negativity. And when I watch the news, it's spreading negativity. So what we consume, not just food, but through our eyes, through our ears, what we consume impacts us in a big way. So if we wanna be more positive in our lives, only let the good stuff in. I'm not saying pretend that the bad stuff doesn't exist. Acknowledge it, but we don't have to focus on it because what we focus on, we become. 
And that's exactly what I was just saying. So I like this because it's made out of plants. Google was good with that guy. <laughs> but moving towards the life that we want and realizing that it's never going to be perfect is so important. And also the I'm, I'll be happy when mentality is really hard because we'll say, well, I'll be happy when I'm a vegan. I'll be happy when I'm a world champion. I'll be happy when I lose 20 pounds. Well, then we're delaying our happiness. So that's not always the way to do it. It's, it's being happy with our current steps that we're taking to be better in our lives. Our actions, our daily actions are what define us, not the end goal. I wanted to put out some quotes from What the Health. So What the Health is a really impactful documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, you should. But once people started watching this documentary a few years ago, that's when people really started asking me more and more questions about my diet. So when I was talking about the 1% change, if 1% of all people changed their diet just a little bit, not even if they went vegan, if 1% of all people just started eating one more plant-based meal per day, these numbers would change dramatically. And it's just incredible what difference that could make if we just start making small changes in our life. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and talk more about the athlete stuff because I know you guys are here to learn about that as well. I wanted to share with you some foods that I like to eat on my daily plate, my top five performance enhancing foods. So I love eating arugula, beets and kale. I don't eat all three of those every day, but I would say of those three, I eat arugula every day. And these are nitrate rich vegetables. So what these do is they help the endothelial layer of your blood vessels relax. That allows better blood flow. Therefore, you can get more oxygen and blood to your exercising muscles. And there's been really great studies done. I recommend going on Dr. Greger's nutritionfacts.org website and looking at beets for performance because there's been a lot of studies that show in runners and also they've done studies in cyclists. If you consume nitrate-rich vegetables a few hours before the start, people's 5K times improved by minutes, which is a lot. So I try to add these in every day. And this isn't a later slide, but I'll tell you now that I don't like making salads, I'm lazy. I don't like standing there chopping up stuff. So if you wanna get these greens in, you can do it in a smoothie and a smoothie will keep the fiber intact for the most part. That's why some people say, well, don't juice because you're not getting in all the fiber. So if you're a smoothie person, throw a bunch of the stuff in a smoothie and mix it up. But I just like eating arugula out of the bag. I have the bag. I actually did it while I was driving to the airport yesterday. I was just like shoveling it in as I'm driving like chips. And your palate changes, so you actually love the spicy taste or the taste of different vegetables. So definitely check out nitrate-rich vegetables. And there's a lot of different kinds, so just pick something that you like. Turmeric is one of the best anti-inflammatories that you can possibly have. There's been studies showing that it works better than some of the drugs that you can take. So I use it in the whole root form. I just throw it in my smoothie. You don't have to peel it, just like throw it straight in. Or you can sprinkle it on food, and a lot of the spices in my bean dishes I make have cumin, chili powder, and turmeric in it. And I also use it in tofu scramble, so it's a pretty easy way to just get some more anti-inflammatory love into your life. Another one is hibiscus tea, and this is the most antioxidant-rich drink that you can eat, or drink, I guess. So people say, oh, like blueberries, and, and berries are also really amazing for athletic performance, but hibiscus tea actually has more anti-inflammatory properties than blueberry juice would. So I take it on planes with me. I have it because they always have the kind of the gross tea on uh, airplanes. So I use that on the plane. I try to get one cup of hibiscus tea per day. Ground flax I put in my oatmeal. It has amazing blood pressure lowering benefits. So all you need is about a tablespoon per day. You can also put it in your smoothies and you can also use ground flax as an egg replacer. Broccoli is another one that I love. 
Cruciferous vegetables are amazing for you because they have a compound called sulforaphane, and that has great anti-cancer properties. So check these things out, add them in, they're really good. I wrote an article recently, I work with Nature's Fair, which is a West Coast food chain, like all their food is organic, it's really great. And one of my articles was about frequently asked questions for athletes. So people say, well, I'm, I tried eating plant-based, but I'm tired. So I'm going to go back to eating meat. But they're not tired because of the plant-based food. They're tired because they're not getting enough of the plant-based food. So making sure that you get enough calories, if you switch your diet and you're tired, try eating more and make sure that you're eating the whole food portion of the plant, not the processed foods, because processed food can make you feel tired as well. Protein, how much protein do we need? This is a question that's really important and we're asked this all the time. And some people get annoyed whenever you ask them because it's such a common question. But I think it's a really important question because man, we are a protein-aholic society. If you go to the grocery store, there's like, it always tells you how much protein is on the package. There's even this a greens company and they call their greens protein greens, which I like that they're showing that there's protein in greens, but I think it's funny how we're so obsessed with protein. But this comes from Brenda Davis's book, Becoming Vegan, which if you don't have this book, it's a great textbook. And it has everything you could possibly want to know about vegan. Uh, it even has what to do if you're pregnant, what to do if you're a senior, what to do if you're an athlete. It has everything you could want to know. So this comes from her book, and that's about how much protein you need, 1.3 to 1.7 grams per kilogram. If you're trying to do bodybuilding, you might need a little bit more, upwards of 2 grams per kilogram. I just heard on a podcast, there's a guy, his name's Nimai Delgado, and he is like a, a weightlifter figure, I don't know the technical term, a, a bodybuilder guy. And he's never eaten meat in his life, so check out his website because he'll tell you if, you if you're trying to build muscle what you need to do. What supplements do I take? Well, I told you I eat dirt on a regular basis, so there's my vitamin B12 supplement, but I actually do take a B12 supplement because you don't really get a lot of that naturally in foods. However, I just learned yesterday that you don't actually get that very much in carnivorous diets either. Dr. Josh was up here talking about how most people are deficient in B12. So just one supplement is helpful for that. I have iodine up there. I don't take straight iodine, but if you're only eating sea salt and you're not eating processed foods, you're not getting any iodine in your diet. And that's another thing I learned from Brenda. So where do we get iodine? Number one, you can use some iodized salt. Number two, you can just take some kelp flakes and sprinkle it onto your food. It doesn't have to be very much. One tiny, tiny little sliver of kelp has a lot of iodine in it, so you don't have to do overkill with that. I also take vitamin D because in BC, it's really cloudy. And beta alanine is a new thing that I've started taking. It's a amino acid supplement. And I started taking it last year and I saw some pretty big benefits from it because I realized, well, where does this come from? Beta alanine comes from carnosine. Carnosine comes from meat. So I'm probably not getting very much of this. And it's a great acid buffer for endurance sports. So that's a supplement that I try to take. Not, I don't take it every day, but every couple of days I'll take a supplement. And another one that I started adding in is DHA, and that's your omega-3s. And in a plant-based diet, you can get omega-3s from walnuts, you can get it from ground flax, but DHA that from algae is going to help you get more of those omega-3s, not fish oil. And lastly, I take a multivitamin just as a safety check and also because there's iron in it. You don't need to take a ton of iron supplements because there's a lot of iron in beans. And in the blue zones, beans are the most important thing that these people eat. And what is a blue zone? It's places around the world where people regularly live to age 100. The research has been done by Dan Butner, so check that out. But people eat legumes, and there's a lot of iron in that as well. 
but I have non-heme iron listed here. And that's because you need a little bit more iron if you're eating non-heme iron. So heme iron is the iron found in meat and non-heme iron is the iron found in plants. I wanted to include what a typical food day looks like for me. What do I eat on a daily basis? I get asked this question quite a bit and it's pretty simple. Every day I have steel cut oats for breakfast. If you're wondering how much protein's in that, there's 20 grams of protein in my breakfast and about 500 calories. Then before my ride, I have some sprouted bread and sprouted multigrain bread also has about seven grams of protein per slice with some nut butter and some dates. And then the rest of my day is pretty easy. I have, I, I eat kind of the same things, burritos, bowls, and I just try to include legumes and leafy greens. So you can actually, for food prep on Sunday, you can chop up all the vegetables, you can prepare everything, and then you can just throw it in dishes however you want. And you can use a rice cooker to make rice or quinoa or whatever you like. That way you're not sitting there watching this pot hoping it doesn't boil over, which has happened before. And some snacks I like are fruit, arugula or baby kale straight out of the bag. I prefer baby kale because it's just more tender and it doesn't have that kind of, I don't really like the, the curly kale, so I like the baby kale better. And just bread with vegetables on it. I mean, it's, it's really simple and really good. If you want something fast, my biggest frustration with eating a plant-based diet is I try to make these like elaborate meals sometimes out of these cookbooks and I get mad because I'm cooking for an hour to an hour and a half and I don't want to be doing that. So I do a couple of those meals a week, but then I try and keep it simple. So as I mentioned on Sunday, I just have my grain bowl ready to go and I just add stuff in. And a question I got earlier before we started today was a question about soy, because I have tofu on there and I drink soy milk sometimes and I like that in my lattes. So is soy bad for you? There's a lot of bad rap about soy and the answer is no. In the Asian countries, people have a lot of soy in their diet. In fact, I was just in Japan in May and it was awesome. Like the tofu there is a different tofu. It's not even close to what we eat here. It's so good. And I want to go there and just bring tofu back. But people eat a lot of tofu there and a lot of soy products, like multiple, multiple servings per day, the men and the women do. And they have the lowest incidences of breast cancer. So it doesn't cause breast cancer. It does the estrogen, the phytoestrogens and soy products are not bad for you. So don't worry about that. I think you'd have to eat a crazy amount of it to cause any type of a negative difference. And a tip that I got was to make sure that you're eating organic, non-GMO soy. And that was again from Brenda Davis, who you guys should check out. I wanted to show you what it looks like when I travel. So a lot of these races I go to are in different places in the world. So this was actually in Poland. I was racing in Poland in July, but I also had this rice cooker with me in Spain. Now, sometimes when you go to these countries, they don't really have food you can eat because they're either a third world country and actually a lot of third world countries have beans and, and grains and things like that. But some of them like Mongolia don't. <laughs> so I started bringing my rice cooker with me and you can find rice anywhere you can or a grain. You can buy that at the store. I found this really good tofu in Europe that has olives in it, which is amazing, but you can find beans anywhere. You can find vegetables anywhere. So I just make it in my hotel room and then I'm guaranteed to eat good food. And like in Spain, they actually don't start eating dinner till nine or 10 o'clock at night. And that's the early bird special. So if you're there at nine, it's like with all the old people. And if you're racing at 8 a.m. the next day, like you don't wanna be eating dinner at midnight. So this year I was smart and I brought my rice cooker. Well, I brought my rice cooker from the US and I just use a little adapter I had in the wall and I thought it's all good. I plug my computer into that, it's fine. Well, I'm cooking in my hotel room and I start smelling something. I'm like, what is, what is that? And I go and I see smoke coming out of the rice cooker. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I burning the food? 
No, the rice cooker was melting because you need a step down converter to change the voltage. So I took it out, the whole room smelled like smoke and I was really worried that the smoke alarm for the whole hotel was gonna go off and I was gonna be that crazy vegan with my rice cooker in my hotel room. <laughs> so fortunately that didn't happen. So if you're gonna take a rice cooker, make sure that it's the right one. Thanks so much for coming, you guys. I really appreciate it that you're listening to this show. And I love all the feedback I've been getting. A really cool one I got was from somebody named Brian Felix on Instagram recently. And he said that he actually listened to the podcast I did with Dr. Khan two times in a row because he found a lot of great information in the show. I really, really appreciate that you guys are here. Thanks for sharing your time and your ears with me and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventure. And we'll see you back here next week.